Switching gears now. All right, this morning, we are going to be back in the book of Exodus. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 19 this morning. Exodus chapter 19. Listen carefully, for this is the word of the Lord. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words, to the, of, of, the, words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the, told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, "Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying." Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. 
And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you um, ready to hear this text this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be revealed well. Lord, I pray that you would speak through this text to our hearts this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. We are at a pivotal part in Exodus, just about halfway through this book. And in some ways, this is the chapter that this book has been leading up to. God has really fulfilled a promise just by bringing them to this mountain. If you remember all the way back in chapter 3, God promised to Moses saying that I'm going to bring the people back up to this mountain to worship me. And here they are at this chapter, worshiping at this mountain. And it's amazing what they've been through, how faithful God has been throughout this book of Exodus. Here he picks out Moses, a man who is wanted for murder in Egypt, and sends him back to Pharaoh saying, give me your entire workforce so that they can come and work for me. Of course, Pharaoh resists this, and God is faithful in sending all of these plagues onto Egypt to deliver his people out of Egypt, transporting a million-plus people out, out of 400 years' worth of slavery. And then beyond that, he brings them into the middle of the desert. He feeds them bread and quail. He gives them water in the midst of sand and rock. He's been faithful to his people all this time. And now, nearly three months after we get out of Egypt, he now invites his people and gives them this incredible offer in these first few verses. He is offering them to be a part of a covenant with him. Now, they have already been in this relationship with him, but he's bringing them into this new phase. They're beginning, they're growing in their relationship with God. And now he is offering these people who were wandering slaves, who knew nothing else, and he's giving them the opportunity to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for him. He's inviting them into this covenant relationship. The closest thing that we have to this kind of intimate relationship would be like a marriage. This intimate, unbreakable vow made to this group of people saying, I'm going to make these promises to you. Here's the God of the universe offering his relationship, offering himself to these people. Now, he sets this up by giving this recap of what has happened. Usually that's how covenants would go. The one party extending it to the other would say, here has been our relationship so far. Here has been, from God's perspective, here's what I've done for you. And he reminds the Israelites, they're not here by their own power. The Israelites didn't rise up and break themselves out of Egypt. There was no way they could have done that. They couldn't even make it three days into the desert, much less get past Egypt's army. Notice how he uses all of the first-person pronouns, seeing what I have done to you and how I have brought you on eagle's wings and how I have brought you to myself. Something that wouldn't have been possible for the Israelites. He's giving them this wonderful invitation to have this relationship with him. 
And not just that. Notice the words that he's using here. It says, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this covenant he's about to make with them, and you will be my treasured possessions among all the peoples. The word that he uses there is the word that a king would have used for his most prized thing in all of his treasury. The thing that he looks for the most. If his castle was on fire and he could go back and get one thing, this would be the kind of possession the king would get. That's the word that's being used here. Your most precious possession. And that's what he's offering for the Israelites to be. He's like, all of you people, former slaves, completely dependent, nothing special. I want you to be my treasured possession. God's precious possession out of everybody else that he could have chosen. He owns it. has everything else. All, everything belongs to him. But he's going to make these people his most treasured possession. Now, this is quite an invitation. But it comes with a great responsibility. It comes with a wonderful privilege to be able to do. He offers them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What would a priest do? A priest was somebody who would worship God and point others to him. That would be the point of a priest. And he's asking this entire nation, all of you people, I want you to be worshipers of me and be a light to everybody else. To be a holy nation, a nation that's set apart. Now, you can imagine what kind of enthusiasm this might be met with. The opportunity to be God's special possession and to have the the job of getting to worship Him and point others to Him. I mean, we would want to do that. I mean, we're evangelists for all kinds of things. We get a new phone that works well for us. We want to tell everybody about it. You can imagine having a God that has delivered you out of slavery, has fed millions of people in the desert. You'd want people to know about Him. And that's what they're being offered. So they say, yes, everything that the Lord says, we will do. So now we get into verse 9. And we hear God say that he is coming to Moses in a thick cloud so that everyone can hear him. So now this is going to require some preparation. This is going to require consecration. Or in other words, another way to put it is to say, say, we need to be holy. We need holiness. Now the word holy, we throw that word around a lot. In fact, we've, we've sung it many times just this morning. And many times, a lot of folks are sometimes confused as to what it means. We tend to think that the word holy is another word for good or righteous. And because we think that holiness describes God and it does, we think, it's like, all right, well, that's, that's the word that it is. But really, holiness, if we were to use this, holiness means separate, set apart for a particular use. Well, they have an illustration of that that might be sitting in your own closet. Do you have those towels that you are not allowed to use in day-to-day life? Those are the guests' towels, and they're not to be used. These are the holy towels. They're set apart for a particular use, for a particular people. We won't dry our profane selves with those towels, but they'll be used for our guests. And that's the term, that's the idea that's supposed to be getting across to these people. It's like, okay, God is coming. God is holy. 
He is very different than anything else that you have encountered before. He's very different than who we are. So we need to have some preparation. This is no ordinary day. God coming to fellowship with his people is something we haven't seen since Genesis 2. Since God and man had walked together, we haven't seen this kind of intimacy yet. And here we are. So what's required of them? So Moses comes down and he does something to these people and then they go and they wash themselves and prepare. Even abstaining from good things like marital intimacy because they want to focus themselves entirely on the task that's ahead of them. And then God wants to teach them exactly who they're dealing with. What does it mean to be worshiping a holy God? requires preparation and is requiring us to get a picture of who this is. So he tells them, set apart from this mountain. Put up boundaries. Get the caution tape. Pull that out and set everything back so that people don't go up to it. Don't even touch it. They were to say that those that do, you're supposed to kill them, and in a particular way, so that you don't even have to touch the person that touched the mountain. That's how separate everything is. To show them, it's like, if you are going to come into God's presence, there is going to need to be a radical change. You can also see how how everything has had to be communicated through Moses. Poor Moses, going up and down this whole mountain and back and forth, because he's the only one that's been invited to say, you are going to be the go-between between me and the people. They're having to change everything about their lives, even down to their clothing. Because this will tell them that if they're going to be in relationship with God, if they're going to live a holy life, there is not a single part of life in which God does not point to and say, mine. Even down to our washing of our clothes, everything is supposed to be done with God's purposes in mind. Really, this is the same offer that we're being given as well. We're invited to have a relationship with God. And that comes with a tremendous privilege. That comes with the privilege of being able to say, our whole lives are dedicated to showing who you are. This is not how we are saved, but this is what, this, but what it looks like to be saved. What it looks like to be a holy priest and a holy nation. Everything in our lives becomes filled with purpose, just like everything in their lives was filled with purpose. Everything was designed to promote and to be ready for God's visit. Well, we've seen this invitation that we're given, but let's now meet the God who gives this invitation. And we get here on the morning in verse 16. We're going to see just how seriously holy God is and how much they need to make preparation. The air is incredibly tense. There's this huge blast of a horn so loud that the people just shake. Remember, these are people that have been guided by a tornado of fire every night. So these people are shaking at this sound. They're gathering up at the base of the mountain. There's smoke everywhere pouring out of it like you would see in a furnace. Lightning and thunder. And God is descending onto this mountain, shaking so hard you'd think the mountain would crumble under the pressure. 
And then Moses goes up. He's invited into God's presence. Now, you notice something that's kind of confusing. He goes up into this mountain, and then he tells them, go back and tell the people not to come up here. I would think this seems unnecessary. With smoke and fire and thunder and lightning and barriers and all this and three days of preparation, I would think it's like, I think the people get it. And that's what Moses tells the Lord. Because it's like, you can imagine just how Moses would be thinking, but it sounds kind of odd saying, Lord, haven't you thought of this? I think the people understand. But God says, no. I know the people better than you do. He remembers all of their complaining throughout the wilderness. These people have not done well listening to their Lord. And he's telling them to stay back. Is God being mean here? No, not at all. He is saying, I don't want them to come up here, break through the cloud, because if they do, I am so holy, they will fall over and die. We'll find out later that no one can see the Lord and live, because He is so holy, He is so good. And we're not. The people are not. Even the priests aren't allowed to come up here. Just Moses, just the go-between, just the mediator is allowed to go back and forth. Now, we can take a look at this text and we can, there's the temptation to set it aside and say, this is the God of the Old Testament, though. This is the God that's distant. This is the mean one. We don't worship that God. We worship the God of the New Testament. But that's not true. The God of the Old Testament, this God, is the same God that's in the New Testament. If you want proof, take a look at the book of Revelation, where we see the same thunders and peals and lightning in God's throne room in chapter 4 and 5. This is the same one. This is the same God that we have to approach. How? How do we approach a God like this? Our lives are filled with sin. We live our lives for ourselves. So much of it. How are we supposed to come like this? And the answer would be, we need a mediator. We need somebody to be the go-between. And that somebody is Jesus. Because you see, there is another mountain in which God set his foot. And it was Mount Calvary. We see him here on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and smoke. And we see on Mount Calvary, God bleeding and dying for us. To open that way, to clear through the smoke. Someone to open up the way for us so that our consciences can be cleansed. That's Jesus. Some of us may want to think it's just like, well, you know, I think I can still be good though. I may not be the best, but I'm better than everybody else. How does it matter? The best person in the camp, the priests weren't allowed to come up to the mountain. The best of us is not allowed to come up to the mountain. Because if there's even the slightest bit of sin in our lives, we are unworthy to approach our Lord. But if we throw in our lot with Jesus, if we say to the Lord, there is no hope, I have no hope, no hope of holiness outside of you, then all of a sudden we can walk behind Jesus Jesus can take all of the punishment that we deserved. He took the dirty clothes of our sin. He put them on himself. 
and gave us his perfect spotless robes of goodness. His perfect record is laid on us. And we can be made perfectly holy in God's sight. So that we can boldly approach the throne. So that we can join the chorus that's already been singing all day and for thousands of years. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We're allowed to walk into that. We're allowed to approach God because we're wearing Christ's righteousness. Because we're going with His blessing. That's what we can take away from this passage. Indeed, Peter quotes this passage later in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He calls out so that we can be kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The same offer that's given to the Israelites is given to you today. God still sits on his throne. God is still holy and powerful. He offers to a people who have no reason to be able to come to God. There's nothing special about us. We're not better than other people. But God has given to us the privilege of hearing his word. God's given to us the privilege of bringing, him, of bringing us to himself. And that we're given the opportunity to serve him, to listen to him, to obey him. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. So, to my fellow priests, to my fellow holy nation, not based on the works that we've done, but on the works that Jesus has done. Let's go out and live for Him. Not as a means to try to make ourselves better with God. God's already taken care of our sin. But let's go and serve. Let's point others to this great God who has brought us to Himself, who's made us His treasured possession. And let's let others know so that they can become a part of this as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this text. We thank you so much for bringing us to yourself. Lord, there is nothing that we could have done to come to you, but you have brought us to yourself anyway. Lord, thank you for making us holy, for we would have no hope outside of it. I pray that you would help us to live in light of that calling, that we would fulfill our responsibilities, our privileges as this holy nation, that we may point others to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.